The Apostle Paul has been in the midst of this section in 1 Corinthians, and he has been describing what he has not done with these Corinthians, and he is describing what worldly wisdom looks like and has been teaching them about he did not come to them with lofty speech or with lofty wisdom. He did not come to them with persuasive words. He did not come to them with human wisdom. In fact, he came to them in weakness, in fear and in trembling, along with the demonstration of the spirit and of power so that their faith would not rest on any human, but it would rest on the power of God. And so that their hope would not rest in great oration or in worldly wisdom or human perspectives or in philosophy, politics, or particular worldviews. And so he has spent all of this time talking about you don't put your hope here and the gospel is not all of these things. And so in this section we're going to look at, this is what the gospel is. This is where you are supposed to put your hope. Now, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16, we'll read it in just a minute. I do want you to be aware that this is a text that is frequently misused and also misinterpreted, misapplied. And we'll slow down over some of those things and make sure we understand what the Apostle Paul is talking about because it's very important to the conclusions that he draws later on in this paragraph that we understand who is he talking about about and the things that apply to it. And so that's what we're going to look at then tonight. And then keep in mind the overall theme of these four chapters has been about divisions. Yet he is writing to them because in verse 10 he says that he has received message that there are divisions among them. There's quarreling among them. That they're taking sides, calling themselves after Paul and Apollos and Peter. And so as we consider this paragraph at the end, we need to then take a step back and think about how does this deal with divisions? How is that going to keep us from divisions and keep us from fighting? So a lot of moving parts, but these are the kind of texts that I truly love. Texts like Romans and texts like these, where you have Paul being very logical and methodical in his argument as he expresses it and makes his point. And so we'll do the same then as we look at this tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we'll read verse 6 to the end of the chapter. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For, if, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. And also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand these things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. 
The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. All right. A lot going on there. A lot of moving parts in that paragraph. So we'll take it piece by piece. The first thing that we have to do is as we get begin in verse six, as you will notice, he switches to a we. We have like back in verse verse, the previous verses, like in verse three, I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling my speech, verse four. But now in verse six, yet among the mature, we do impart Wisdom, And we have to now ask the question, who are the we? Who are we talking about? And he says, we impart the spiritual wisdom. Verse 7, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. And he continues all throughout this paragraph saying, we do this, we have this, we don't possess this, but we do possess this. Who is the we that we are talking about? Uh, most of the books that I picked up, to my great surprise, say that the we is referring to Paul and the Corinthians, and I'm going to tell you why I think that's not right. Uh, I don't think that works that Paul is now including the Corinthians and saying these things about here's what we have now in Christ for a number of reasons. When we get to chapter 3, verse 1, which I always have noted to you, chapter breaks, terrible. These big numbers get in the way as if this is a whole new thought. It's not a whole new thought. He's going to tell these Corinthians that he came to them and they are immature and they are infants. You're not thinking the way you ought to think. You're not understanding things the way you ought to understand things, which should be evident because chapter one has been, you guys are fighting and quarreling over silly things. You're lining up behind Apollos and Paul and and Peter. You don't have the mind of Christ. You're showing worldly wisdom. That's why he has made these points the way that he has about these Corinthians. If they were thinking properly and truly possessed the spirit of God and understood these things, he wouldn't have to write four whole chapters telling them how they're completely wrong in their thinking and the problems that they have. Furthermore, as he continues through this discussion, you will notice that he will separate the we from them, like in chapter 3 and in verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. He'll do it again in chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 6, chapter 4, verse 10. He will keep saying, we versus you. He is not including the Corinthians when he says we. To validate that even more, when we get to verse 6, he defines who the we are. You'll notice it in verse 6. I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. The we he's talking about is Apollos and himself, which would make sense. These are the two primary teachers that Corinth had. We read the book of Acts. These two are the two primary figures. And so when we read this and he is arguing for the we, that we have these things that we read in this paragraph, we should not see Paul say we as in Corinthians and Paul himself. He's trying to teach them something special. He says we refers to 
the apostles and these other preachers of the gospel like Apollos who have come to Corinth and have taught them and they, why they are supposed to receive them. And that's what this argument that he is laying out here is all about. What is the gospel? What is the message? And he is saying, we brought it to you, Corinthians. We possess something that causes you to accept what we are teaching in contrast to what the world has. So hold that in mind as we now move through this text. And I think it will become very clear that this is the way that he is making his point. So notice then with me as he pushes forward that verse six would then be saying that among the mature, we do impart a wisdom or impart wisdom, though it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. The apostles and these preachers of the gospel, they are coming and they are imparting wisdom, but it's not the way those of the world would recognize it. And that's the whole issue that's at stake here. If, we just when last week we were in Fayetteville and we spent all three days, um, eight hours a day for three days, just going through Second Corinthians. And it becomes very obvious that this is still the problem in the second letter about how they are perceiving the apostles and they're looking at them with worldly wisdom and worldly insight and worldly knowledge and do not recognize them as truly of apostles. And thus, thus he argues about, well, we're not like those super apostles that you're holding up and we bear the marks of what true apostles are, is that there is very much a defense of the message that they can and proclaimed to these Corinthians. And so he's making the point, the message that we came and brought to you, if you are of a worldly mindset, you're not going to understand what we're saying. You're not going to recognize it as wisdom. In fact, he calls the mature there in verse six, only among the mature do we impart this wisdom. They are the ones who are going to recognize this, that the things that we taught are the things of God, which I would submit to you then. Because he words it that way by saying, now, among the mature, we impart a wisdom and it is a wisdom not of this age and not of the rulers of this age that he is implying to them that they are thinking of Paul's messages immature. One of the things that you see in Second Corinthians is they have a problem with how can it be that these apostles and teachers of the gospel are suffering the way that they do. I mean, that doesn't seem to fit. And here again is a worldly wisdom vantage point. Well, you're looking at things improperly. The mature understand the message that we are declaring. And that fits very much back with chapter one, because remember what he said about the message of the cross. This idea of suffering seems to be a message of foolishness. This idea of suggesting that someone would suffer for the world doesn't match up with worldly wisdom in the slightest. And he says the mature understand these things. And their message is not a message that lines up with the wisdom of the age. That you're not going to sit back on your own mind and in your own knowledge and your own wisdom and go, yeah, that makes total sense. I'd get all that. (laughs) It has to be 
be revealed by God. And that's the whole point that he's getting across throughout this section. That those who accept God's wisdom, they don't live according to the world's ways. They don't think according to worldly standards. Their minds have been transformed. Which you'll notice that's where he's flowing throughout this. Verse 7, For we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You notice the the direction that he's going with this. That the apostles, they proclaimed the hidden wisdom of God. And that hidden wisdom was the message of the cross. That was what was hidden in ages past. In fact, over at the book of Romans, at the very end, you'll notice that that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said to the Romans as well. He ends this great letter to the Romans. Romans 16.25, he says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. What a way to end a letter. The message that we gave you was the hidden mysteries of long ages that have now you have received. Now you understand what God was doing. And nobody could have understood that until God said so. And that's where you see verse 8. None of the rulers understood that. They wouldn't have killed the Son of God if they knew that this was the way the plan was supposed to be and what God was doing. And so he makes that very point to them. Do you understand that through human wisdom, through human logic, through human philosophy, through human worldviews, you're not going to come to an understanding of God. In fact, you have to love verse 7. Here he says, We apostles, we're imparting this hidden wisdom, this mystery of God, which God decreed before the ages for what purpose? For our glory. That's a glorious point being made right there. Here God has done all of this for us, for our glory. He held all of this in the mind of God and the wisdom of God and says, Now I reveal all these things to you for your glory so that you can appreciate the wisdom of God and the mind of God and all that He was accomplishing. And I hope you'll hear what the implied argument is that he has made explicit in chapter 1 and is implied here in chapter 2. Why then would we ever rely upon worldly wisdom for direction when worldly wisdom didn't understand the plan of God? Why would we ever think that the world has a grasp on the way things ought to be? Or why would we think that the wisdom that this world would conjure up would be something that would now teach us to how to come to God and give us greater insight about God? Politics, philosophies, worldviews all attempt to try to put life in a particular order. This is the explanation of why things are. This is how it's supposed to go. And God just flips all that upside down and says, none of that wisdom, human wisdom, helps you at all in coming to know the mind of God. 
You can't understand the wisdom of God through these philosophies, through these worldviews. You're not going to go to some mountain somewhere and go, okay, now I understand. You're not going to stare at a beautiful sunset and go, now I grasp the mind of God. All of the things that the world would like to say are a spirituality by which if you would do certain activities, you would now come to know God. God goes, no, that's not how it's going to happen. You're not going to come to know God that way. And the point that he is always getting at, which comes back to chapter 1, verse 31, humans by their own power, by their own knowledge, by their own thinking, by their own wisdom, by their own power and might, cannot understand the plans and the wisdom of God. And God did that with intention so that no one would boast in themselves, but would only boast in the Lord. God made it so that nobody would figure out of their own power. It had to be that God would reveal it. And he makes the point there as he quotes it in verse 9 from Isaiah chapter 64 and Isaiah 65, verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 2. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man even imagined what God has prepared For those who love him. You couldn't see it. You couldn't hear it. And you couldn't even imagine it. To begin to understand what God was doing. Not possible. And so he's drawing the door down on this and saying there is nothing a person can do of their own might, of their own wisdom, of their own thinking that in and of themselves would get you to understand God and get a grasp of that. It can't happen. He says that wouldn't be the case. No ear has heard, no eye has seen, no mind has imagined what God was preparing and how he was going to do it. And here are these Corinthians going, the message of the cross is either foolishness or it's a stumbling block. And God goes, exactly. I intended it to be that way so that you would not rely upon yourself, but that you would rely on the power of God. And Paul then tried to amplify that in the way that he preached. By coming to Corinth in weakness and fear and trembling, so that their faith would not rest upon him, or his great oration ability, or his amazing presence, which he apparently does not have, since they slander him for that, but rather in the power of God and the words that were spoken to these Corinthians. And he validates that even more as he he pushes that forward. Notice verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. He makes the point. Only the Spirit can know the depths and the wisdom of God. Nobody else can do that. And you say, now, no, I think I'm pretty smart. I can figure it out. And he shows you why we couldn't figure it out. Look at verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? I have no idea what you're thinking right now. (laughs) You can give me all kinds of facial expressions and kind of bodily cues, but I have no idea what you're thinking. You might be unconscious on the inside with your eyes open. You might have learned that in college really well, how to sleep with your eyes open. I have no idea what's going on inside. And that's the whole point he's making. Nobody knows what's in the heart of another person. Nobody knows what's going on in their mind. You cannot know the thoughts of another person unless that person tells you, here's what I'm thinking. 
And so the point that he makes here then in, in verse 10 is, so these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And so then he can say at the end of verse 11, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. You cannot understand God unless God reveals His mind to you. You cannot understand His ways and you cannot understand His thoughts by any other means except that He tells you exactly what His ways are and what His thoughts are. We live in an interesting culture right now of spirituality that thinks you can get all kinds of interesting knowledge through quite curious ways. You can understand God if you would just do these certain things and go certain places and have particular meditations or repeat certain words and do some strange concepts. And here is God going, that's silly. How do you know what's inside somebody else unless they tell you? And why do you think that you of your own power or your knowledge or your might or your wisdom could ever come to a knowledge of who God is and what God is planning? You cannot. Which then tells us, as he's going to continue on here, that's why you needed God to reveal it. Revelation is required for us to be able to know the thoughts of God, and the agent of that revelation was the Spirit of God. And that's what he's doing in 10, 11, and 12. Back to verse 10. These things God has revealed to us, us apostles, through the Spirit, The Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Spirit has that knowledge. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? We can't know. And so no one also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Revelation is required to know the mind of God. And the Apostle Paul says, that's what we have. We were given the Spirit of God. And thus, when we teach you, Corinthians, something, and we come proclaiming a message to you, that's not worldly wisdom. That's not a philosophy that you would sit there and hold it up with Aristotle and go, well, let me see which way I should really go on that. I think think Paul's way sounds smarter than Aristotle's way or something like that. You weren't supposed to listen to them and go, that's just one philosophy of many. That's just one worldview of many. He's saying, what we have is not the spirit of the world. We didn't come teaching you worldly wisdom. We didn't come teaching you something that would be divine by human means. We came teaching you what was in the very mind of God revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. Verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. Boy, there's a a, a thing to underline. We didn't make this up. We all didn't sit down and have a powwow and go, I think that sounds really smart, Paul. You ought to write that one down. 
We are not teaching human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. The things that we are saying to you comes from the Holy Spirit and only the Spirit knows the mind of God. And so you see how Paul is differentiating himself from any of the world teachers and philosophers and those who espouted off these world views and orators and all that. He says, we are far different. We're not like one of them. We're revealing to you the mind of God. And the reason that we can reveal to you the mind of God, the ways of God and the truth of God is because we have the spirit of God with us. And that spirit then gave us these very words. We are teaching you the words of the spirit and we are not teaching you human wisdom. And then he continues in verse 13, interpreting spiritual truths. To those who are spiritual, we are expressing spiritual truths that were revealed by the Spirit Himself. That is the point that the apostles are always making. You have to love it over in 2 Peter 1 when Peter does that. Peter says, You know, we're not basically making this up, but we were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit when we said these things to you. We didn't just sit down and go, hmm, what sounds godly or Christian? Now, there's a, it's kind of died down a little bit. There was quite an uproar of, for a while there of, well, you know what happened in the 300s? Everybody just had a powwow, 300 AD, and tried to figure out, you know, what are the words of God and what are not? And what they did is they all kind of sat down and figured out, you know, what's what's godly and what's not godly. And then they these books didn't sound good, so they threw them out. And these ones that sounded all right, they kept them in, as if this was a whole worldly process that was going on. And the apostles are always saying, wait, what we taught you was the very words of God. We didn't make this up. This wasn't human wisdom. This did not come by our own origin. We didn't drum it up on ourselves. We were moved and carried by the Holy Spirit. You come to Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 5, the apostle Paul would make the same thing. That they had received the mystery of Christ and then writes to those Ephesians and say, and when you read what we wrote to you, you can understand the mystery of Christ as well. That's what he's telling these Corinthians. You're evaluating us on a human wisdom, on a human level. We have the very spirit. And earlier he said, you saw that demonstration of that spirit. Back in chapter 2, verse 4. My message and my speech was not with plausible words of wisdom, but the demonstration of the spirit and power. You saw what I did to prove that the words that I was saying were the very words of God. That's why the apostles had miracles was to say, this is the very mouth of God. And you sit back and go, how do we know? And they went miracle. Boom. And then they went, okay, got it. You definitely have the message and mind of God. We will believe what you said. That's why they were doing those things. That's the point he's making here. You saw the Spirit's demonstration. You saw the power. And you know it wasn't about me. And the words that I declared to you then were the very words of God themselves. Now, notice verse 14, because I think this is particularly interesting and particularly applicable for us today. Verse 14, the natural person 
does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Here again is a great line that he's giving to these Corinthians. If you don't accept the things of the Spirit, that says something about you, Corinthians. If you take what we are saying as not the Spirit of God, but as worldly wisdom, that's a declaration that you are a natural person. That you are not a spiritual person. The natural person does not accept what comes from the Spirit. Well, why not? Because it's foolishness to them. Friends, how many times have you had a discussion with somebody in the world and tried to explain the message of the cross or explain the gospel and they looked at you as if you'd grown two tails and three heads? That's what he's saying. The worldly person isn't going to get it. The fleshly person, this, this natural person, they're going to hear what you're saying as completely foolishness. They don't understand because they are not spiritual. They are self-focused. They are self-centered, which has been his argument throughout this, this whole thing. Is saying that's why they don't understand. Over in Romans, he'd say, indeed, they cannot obey. They're not going to because they don't understand these things. These things are foolishness to them. And I think this is really important for us. Because how often for us as Christians, we will constantly be told... That because of our beliefs and because of our faith in God and the values that we ascertain from the scriptures, that we are ignorant, we are narrow, and we are incapable of understanding the real world. We are going to be told that over and over again with greater and greater intensity. You don't understand, you're narrow-minded, you're ignorant, you don't know what you're thinking, you're out of touch, you don't understand. And we must realize that these are the criticisms of the world that come from worldly wisdom and not be moved by those criticisms in the slightest. We expect them to say that because to them, the words of the Spirit are foolishness. And we are not surprised when they go, oh, you're narrowing. You go, well... I guess you don't understand the Spirit's words. You are still of the natural. They say, oh, well, you're ignorant. You don't understand. You're still of the, of the natural person. You're not of the Spirit. You don't understand. The world is going to criticize us for the things that we teach and the things that we say and the things that we do because they do not understand the wisdom of God. And we will be under great pressure and under great temptation to change and listen to their worldly wisdom because they're going to pressure and say, you don't have it right. You need to change your thinking. You need to change your position, change your values, change your understanding. And we have something very valuable here saying, guess what? The wisdom of God and the ways of God is not the wisdom of the world and the ways of the world. They are entirely different, that they stand opposed to one another. And what we must realize then is as the people of God, we have the proper perspective. And unfortunately, the people of the world are the ones with the narrow perspective because they have never tasted the grace of God or enjoyed God's transforming insight. They are the ones without knowledge. 
They are the ones without wisdom. They are the ones without understanding. Not us. Don't be changed in your thinking as if there were something wrong with your point of view. As long as our point of view is from thus says the Lord God, you must hold to that point of view no matter what others say about it. And as a reminder here that he says, guess what? The natural person does not accept these things. And it is foolishness for us then to try to desire and extol the world's perspective. I think it is just sad how often this is the case that you see in the person, uh, see in a Christian. Well, I want to try to match up the, with the ways of the, of the world with the ways of God. I'm going to try to blend together the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. And here's God going, my mind is so different from the world. It's not going to work that way. It can't be done. You know, we talked about that in Leviticus a long time ago, where we'll read all of these dietary laws and cleansing laws and all that. And what we'll try to do is we'll come in and go, well, maybe the reason why he said not to eat that was because of this kind of health problem. Maybe God just said don't eat that because that was in the mind of God and there doesn't need to be human rationale in the slightest. Because God just said that's the way it's going to be. And so often what we do is have to try to think we have to justify the wisdom of God when unfortunately what we are doing is standing in foolish wisdom as if our wisdom needs to help God's wisdom along. His wisdom is sufficient. Our wisdom is foolish. Isaiah 55, give up your ways, give up your thoughts because God's thoughts are better. God's thoughts are higher. His ways are far better than ours. And yet so often that's what we want to do is we think we can match wits with God. And he tells them that absolutely is not the case. Verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. What a wonderful comfort that this apostle Paul is saying. You're thinking in terms of worldly wisdom, Corinthians. I'm not going to be judged by that. You judge me according to God's standards, God's wisdom, God's ways, not worldly ways. Spiritual person will not be judged by those things. Worldly person says, oh, you're this, this, and this. I go, that's worldly wisdom. But when my brother or sister in Christ says, then I go, oh, now we're talking about spiritual wisdom. I better pay attention. That's what he's saying here is this worldly thinking. I'm not going to be judged by those things. And he proves it in verse 16. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? How arrogant we truly can be in our thinking. As if we think that we have some kind of wisdom or some kind of understanding by which that we would tell God. This is the way that is right, just, good, or fair. That's very much where the world, our culture today stands. We will tell God where God is wrong about all of these variety of social issues. And we will tell him the way that it's supposed to be. And here is this quotation from Isaiah 40, verse 13, saying, you can't do that. 
You cannot begin to understand God's thoughts. You cannot probe the depths of God, let alone match wits with God. We are far too finite. We are far too sinful to begin to be able to do that. The only reason we can understand anything about God is because God revealed it. God said, here's my thinking. Here's my words. Here's what you need. To run anywhere else to attempt to understand God is a waste of time and an effort in futility. It is only through His Word that we will begin to understand God in the slightest. And that is where our focus and that's where our time must be. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning to bring it at the end, we must ask this question as we've done all throughout this section. What has Paul taught here that's to help us from fighting and prevent division? Why would this be something you would teach these fighting Christians as they're dividing over Paul and Apollos and they're quarreling and fighting? How does this help that? Why would you teach this to them at this moment? What is the importance of this? There's at least two things that I can think of, and you might think of 50 better ones than me. But I think there's at least two things here that we see. First, if we're not looking at the Scriptures, you just simply don't have the wisdom of God. As a critical point that here the Apostle Paul is making. To begin to try to apply human wisdom is not useful to understanding the mind of God. That point has been made repeatedly through this chapter and here it comes out yet again. To apply any kind of human logic or wisdom to try to bend that to the mind of God is utter foolishness. That's one of I've got all kinds of examples. I used one last week. Let me use another one this week. Have you ever heard the argument? No, the elders must have multiple children because what better way to know if they've ruled their household well unless they've had a lot of children. That's human wisdom. It's not what God said. God didn't say that. God didn't say that. Here's the reason why I want to make sure you have children. It's because the more children you have, the more qualified you'd ever be. And so if you only have one, you're out. If you have two, that's not as good as three. And boy, if you have 20, that makes you a pro. That's worldly wisdom. We do that kind of thing all the time to try to explain commands and teachings of God. Don't do that. That's one of the reasons why divisions happen. Is people take the scriptures, apply worldly human wisdom, come up with an answer that God never said. A few times ago I mentioned how often that's the case. That people will teach things that are not in the scriptures because it sounds good. It sounds logical. It seems to be right. But it's not what God ever said. And so we must leave human wisdom at the door and just discern here's what God said. And I don't need to go, now that makes sense because I don't care if it makes sense to you or not. God could decide to not make any sense at all and be perfectly right because we are finite and we are sinful and things probably won't make sense to us because we are not the almighty God though we try to put ourselves on the throne and pretend that we are. If God said it, I don't have to understand it. There's a lot of things that He commanded that I don't like and may not understand. Oh well, we submit to God. That's what it means for Him to be the ruler and for Him to be the king. But so often what we do is we say, well that doesn't make sense, that must not be right. Or I don't like the consequences of that, so that can't be right. 
And we come along and apply human logic rather than just simply saying that's what it says. May we discern the word of God and not apply human logic and human wisdom to the mind of God. Because God said, if I didn't tell it to you, I don't care how much wisdom and power and logic you might have. You'd never figure it out ever, 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 because that is the lofty ways of God. Who can know the mind of God unless God revealed it to us? And that's what he did through his Holy Spirit that the apostles wrote down for us. Number two. Then those who do not depend on wisdom of God, but instead depend upon the human wisdom and depend upon worldly wisdom. They are the ones that are acting immature as natural people and not as spiritual people. I think that's one of the most powerful things that he just did in the way he did that paragraph. He just told them, if you're not listening to what the apostles are telling you, you are worldly, you are natural, you are fleshly, you are not spiritual, you do not have the things of God in you. And that is so important for us to understand is that for us, we must depend upon the word of God. And he says that the mature understand this, that the spiritual will understand this. And we will avoid fighting when we will avoid divisions, when we refuse to think and act in worldly ways, but instead always turn directly to the scriptures. Our lives must be built upon the authority of the scriptures. Every time we read the scriptures, we must discover what God's will is. That we would never approach the scriptures and go, I've got it all figured out. Let me see how God validates my worldview today. But to always approach it in terms of, I know nothing and I'm being revealed the mind of God as I read these words and he must change my thinking. Because I know that I am broken. I know that I am sinful. I know that I am finite. I know that I carry worldly wisdom and human wisdom and all the baggage that the world has taught us, that our parents has taught us, that the culture has taught us. And God has to teach me how to disregard all of those things rather than trying to make the scriptures fight or fit all of my values and all of my perceptions and all of my worldviews. It is important for us then to know God's word, to focus on God's word, be renewed by God's word in your thinking, and then live God's word, not what the world says. Throw the wisdom of the world out and turn to the wisdom of God for every decision and every thought process that you have in this life until you go home to meet your God. Amen. We're going to sing a song and we invite you to come to Jesus. And we invite you to see the wisdom of God. And Jesus' call is a call of sacrifice. It was not only a sacrifice of body, a sacrifice of time, a willingness to bend the knee and follow Jesus. But friends, it was also a call to sacrifice our way of thinking. He is telling us, you can't think like the world. Your mind cannot run like the world. It must be transformed, be renewed in your mind. To put on that new self. It is so important that we understand that that is part of the sacrifice process. Sacrificing our wisdom that we cling to as such high value. 
sacrificing what we think is right, good, fair, and just for the values that God has established of what is right, fair, just, light, dark, good, wicked. Define life by what He says, not what we think. If you're ready to submit to Him, will you come to Him tonight, turn away from your sins, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Will you come and do that now while we stand?